Welcome back into this week's edition of the Wildcats Press Pass. I'm your host, Cameron Beal, with Bracket Lions alongside Bracket. Been better. Alrighty. Yeah. Um, the story of the week, obviously, the men's soccer team hosted the America East Championship once again, going for their fourth straight win in that tournament. They would have been the second team ever to win the America East four straight times. I believe it was BU back in the 90s. They won it five years in a row. Um, New Hampshire, they came into the game, and would, would you call this a Bracket Lions trap game? I think you have to. I mean, it's hard to say because it's a championship game and it's against a quality opponent like Vermont, but boy, were they not themselves. Yeah, no. So just to, to recap, the Wildcats, they lost by a final of one to nothing. Um, what minute was that goal? That came in the 68th. 68th minute goal by Eve Borier of the Catamounts. And, yeah, New Hampshire, like Brackett said, just did not look themselves the entire day. It was an off performance, I'd say, from start to finish for most of the team. Um, Coach Mark Hubbard, I think he said he either said half or more than half of his players did not play to their level, um, and I think that's pretty accurate. Um, if you want to start with the positives – Bridger Hansen did play to his level. Um, I think he's a big reason this game stayed as close for as long. He probably as it did. had the best day out of anyone out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean it was it was a great performance, and you got to feel for him because he got little to no help. Um, and but I mean, just the story of this game was flat on the you know on their heels, just not able to create, not able to you know make a dangerous chance or finish any chance. It was just it was poor and. You know, injuries and, you know, health played a big factor into this one. We didn't see Victor Minutia in either playoff game. We didn't see Chris Pinkham. Um, who else was there? Uh, Sam Henneberg, we think, got hurt at the end. Yeah, Henneberg went down very late, and then Yannick Bright right before half. Yeah, and um, then Rory took a beating the entire day. Rory somehow is okay. Rory played o- 90 minutes yeah, somehow. Rory O'Driscoll. Um, <laughs> so he was, you know, in the midfield three. The Wildcats run a 4-1-3-2. Um, he usually plays in that midfield three, creating, you know, getting in attacking chances, scoring some goals, a uh, good amount of assists for him as well. Um, and Yannick Bright, he's that one. So he's going to cover the back line, help in defense, but also his big role is to distribute that ball up to the midfield three. And that's a vital role for this Wildcats offense. That's how they score. That's how they create. Um, they're a back-to-front kind of team. They're not heaving it up to a striker. You know, they're building, they're passing. And so Bright goes down uh, right before the half. Um, I think it was lower body from what I could tell, but we don't have you know clarification on that. Um, looks to be non-contact as well, um, so really don't know. Um, and O'Driscoll then drops into that one, um, and he's got the technical skill for that. Um, you know, he's a good dribbler, good passer, but he's smaller than Bright, and Vermont just, I mean beat the crap out of the guy yeah Yannick Bray is one of the more physical players you'll see in this conference you know he's not the tallest guy out there. he's probably around six feet tall but he's he's relatively built he's fast and he's strong and so he's just a physical imposition upon anybody that, that he's going against and Rory O'Driscoll just not to mince words but he's small yeah <laughs> he's, he's a smaller he's, guy he's a smaller guy on the team and Vermont took advantage of that Vermont always comes in I think a little bit physical that's sort of their play style and I think that's played into why UNH doesn't like them um because they were fouling kicking tripping all over the pitch today or not today sorry Sunday um 
and the referee only issued two yellow cards. There was an bananas. Es- yeah, there was an especially hard foul on O'Driscoll that I don't think it was even called a foul. Right before the half. Yeah. I, d- I don't think it was called a foul. I think the only reason play was stopped was because there was about to be a fight. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think they had to break up a fight but didn't call a foul, which is always, you know, you miss something there because yeah. <laughs> I think he took a hard elbow. Um, but, yeah, the guy just got beat up out there and was doing his best, but he was more, you know, had to worry more about surviving and not getting these hard fouls and escaping this pressure. Um, whereas Bright, as that more imposing figure, is able to kind of, you know, guys are less inclined to go after him and he can distribute that ball up to where O'Driscoll would normally play that that midfield three. Um, and Rory struggled to, to get it to them. He was under siege a lot of the time. And you spoke to Mark Hubbard Monday afternoon at the selection show. And he told you, though, what? If it was do or die, Yannick Bright could have been out there. Yeah, he said do or die game, Bright finishes that game. You know, probably goes out right before halftime, but probably would have returned um, after the half. But he doesn't. And I think, you know, in this game, we saw some some different substitutions than we've seen before. And obviously, there's some guys that just straight up couldn't go. Chris Pinkham uh, out with COVID. Uh, he'll be back for the tournament. But just some players you're not accustomed to seeing either playing as many minutes as they did or really playing at all. Yeah, by the end of the game, I remember I was on the call, and I said there was one point, I think Palmer was out of the game. You had Minutier pink him out, obviously. Bright and Henneberg pulled out of the game. Um, Linus Fallberg had essentially been a non-factor most of the day. You know, just nobody really found themselves on the stat sheet, but no show yeah, it was an no absolute show no show from Linus Wahlberg yeah. who had a good game against UMBC in the semifinals so real fall off maybe Vermont just had a plan to neutralize him but I mean wow and um so obviously like we just said Yannick Bright would have been good to could have finished it out if it was do or die but Mark Hubbard kind of playing the long game here um just looking forward to the tournament they knew they were going to get in either way but after taking the loss, New Hampshire, the committee must have really hated Vermont because New Hampshire fell 10 spots in the rankings. Yeah, no, they uh, did not have a high opinion of Vermont yeah, because no. to fall 10 spaces for a championship loss of one nothing, that was that was surprising. Yeah, and that kind of, you know, uh, what's your opinion on how Mark Hubbard played that one? Because now, obviously, you're in the same quadrant of the bracket as the number one seed, Oregon State. Yeah, and, you know, I, I asked him about it. I said, you know, you fall 10 spaces, and that leaves you with Oregon State potentially in a third-round matchup. Um, and he seemed, I mean, you know, maybe he hit it well, but he seemed very okay with that potential matchup. Um, and I think this team prioritized the tournament um, – Obviously, the players were trying to win, but I think they made some calls and clearly did to, you know, be as healthy as they could going into the tournament. And you don't want to say sacrifice to the America East Championship, but certainly put it on the back burner a little bit. Um, it's tough to agree with that. You know, you're going for four straight. Guys want to win championships. Um, home crowd wanted to see, I think, a better performance. But if if I had to guess, I think Hubbard was surprised by his team's performance and, you know, the lackluster nature of it, and then also just had previously planned, like, I'm not going to really risk injury, and that sort of created this cocktail where you get this, you know, I don't want to say shocking defeat, but certainly an upset. Yeah, and I said it before the game. Vermont's kind of been circling New Hampshire for a while. They tied earlier in the year. Granted, New Hampshire had 10 guys after the Jacob Gould red card. Um, New Hampshire... Barely squeaks went out in the championship last year. It was two to nothing, but I think the second goal was pretty late. Um, and then earlier last season in the spring, they tie zero zero. So Vermont's kind of been circling New Hampshire, 
either way. It felt like this was it had to break through eventually. And you now, like you said, Mark Hubbard, if he was going to take one time for Vermont to beat him, it seems like he was okay with this one. Yeah, I think, you know, you got a target on your back when you're that top team for so long like New Hampshire was, and it's always been Vermont, you know, hunting them, um, trying to be that usurper. And they were. Um, if we can go back to the subs, though. Yeah. Gustavo um, Rodriguez and Nils Buchwalder. By the yeah. The game. Not two names you would expect. They had each played in six games prior to the championship. Yeah, I think uh, Gustavo Rodriguez had a combined 57 minutes prior to getting, you know, 14 in the America East Championship. Um, and you got to feel for the guy. He gets thrown into this, makes a great move. He was on in the right back position, came in for Henneberg. Great move past his defender. The crowd comes alive. This is like maybe five minutes to play. Um, and he looks to play a cross in and just missile. <laughs> a missile out of play. Like the field goal was good. To the far flag. <laughs> yeah, that thing was out of Wildcat in a hurry. Um, and, you know, it was head in hands for him after that. Um, and that's one of those things. You want guys with more experience in there. You want that to probably be Pinkham if he isn't out with COVID. Um, Pinkham scored the winning goal in last spring's America East Championship. He's a veteran guy who clearly has shown he's capable in these moments. He's been a piece for this team throughout the season um, and a great substitute, too, when he comes on with his pace. Speaking of pace, you know, a little surprising here, Eli Goldman, who's come in as a sub, you know, pretty usually when the game's away, but as a dangerous attacking threat, just speed, speed, speed. Yeah. He only gets two minutes. You'd think he would get more when you're trying to, you know, equalize this I game. didn't even know he got into the game. Yeah, no, it was brief. It, was well, it wasn't the first or second half, do you know? Uh, I want to say it was a little bit in the second, but... Yeah, no, I did not even know he was in the ball game. Yeah, he was in for two minutes, um, <laughs> which is surprising. And then Niels Buch, what when was the last time he played? I know he started the first two games of the year, and I honestly don't remember. I've, I don't remember a time seeing him since. Yeah, uh, so... I think that one was just... they started the year was at BU, and then it was home against Colgate. Yeah, it was BU-Colgate. Yeah, so I, know, I know he started those two games. After that, I could not tell you. And that's not a sub that, like, he's a defender, so it's not really like, oh, why'd they bring this guy mm-hmm. in? Because, like, they didn't concede with him on the pitch. It's not a big deal. But it was just a lot of names you weren't weren't expecting. Dylan Maxson gets 22 minutes. Yeah, he got a lot. That's a lot. Who, do, um, who was he? In? Was he in there for Yannick Bright? Is he a midfielder? So, yeah, because Rory was back yeah. at the one, they had to bring in Maxson to be the sub that normally um, Rory would have either subbed. You know, those three, it's kind of interchangeable. O'Driscoll, um, Von Niebel, uh, Fallberg, and who else did they put there in the midfield? Stand by. <laughs> do, do, do. I'm blanking. <laughs> what are you looking for, a midfielder? Just, who plays in that front three? Did I name all of them? Um, Seville's at back. Yannick. Gould. Von Ebel. No, Gould plays in the front two. Von Ebel. I said Von Nebel. Bilal. Bilal Kamal. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And Bilal Kamal. Um, So, yeah. And Kamal, uh, he got minutes, but another another Wildcat, I think you have to say, bit of a no-show. Yeah. 
And what exactly we, – we talked a lot about the midfield. Obviously, the injury to Bright, you know, hurt them a lot. What exactly was it with the forwards that you saw that prevented them from was – it, was it just kind of the flow from back to front and it kind of getting lost in the midfield without Bright? I think that has to be, you know, the first diagnosis you can think of because that is so vital for this team. They talk about how they want to play. It's back to front. And I think it's, you know, Vermont cut off that, you know, that flow. They were, you know, they – pinched the hose if you will so (laughs) the ball just wasn't getting to them enough and when it was it wasn't you know that midfield three coming into a dangerous position and then looking to make the final pass to an attacker you know a Tolisha one me or a Jacob Gould or a Paul Mayer um it was them getting the ball and just trying to do all the work themselves Mm -hmm. um I think show me we've talked about so dangerous when he's in that true number nine role um you know, getting those strikers' chances, but this game he was trying to create those chances. Yeah, you found him a lot, like deep in the corners, was trying to get around the edge and yeah. center it. They were they were looking for any way through that Vermont defense, um, but they just weren't finding the holes, and so that was kind of pushing them to the the fringes, to the edges. Um, and your your backs, you know, your fullbacks, your left and right back weren't getting up the pitch far enough to where then they can fire in and find that striker waiting for them. Um, like one of legitimately the most dangerous chances for the Wildcats was Liam Bennett attempting a cross from, you know, edge of the box area down the left wing, and he curls one in that, you know, for a minute looked like it might nestle in the top yeah. corner. Um, <laughs> so you know you're in trouble when that's one of your best chances. And you mentioned Liam Bennett there, a guy who you, him and Chris Pinkham usually go back and forth, right? In terms yeah, of the starting. left back, they kind of either one of them starts, the other comes in as a sub, um, depending on who's fit. Um, but Bennett, I think, took the full 90 today. Yeah, I think, you know, just in terms of, obviously, you know, Fallberg, we said, didn't didn't really see a whole lot of him. But nothing in particular, really, like, bad decisions or anything. Liam Bennett was probably the guy who looked like, just noticeably had the worst day out there. It, uh, yeah, I think you got to say one of his worst performances of the season. Um, he just didn't quite have it, and it showed um, – he wasn't he usually you know he's great on the ball normally especially with his passing and his crossing and it was not there today um and he just he struggled um he really did and I think a lot of guys did um but man was this just not a and I don't think we've mentioned on the goal um we complimented the defense I think as the most of any unit um it was tough for them I think it was a free kick goes into the box clear dribbled out to you know just outside the box and want to say like one of the goals of the season yeah it was phenomenal off off a volley coming yeah. from his left one time I mean, it was an unbelievable hit There's no way Jocelyn Coley-Lock yeah that's not a goal uh yeah you're not stopping that one uh if you try and save it a hundred times yeah um so yeah it's those thin margins you know because what are we talking about here if it's both teams struggling to score instead of Vermont getting that one breakthrough you know it's just a defensive battle we're less probably harsh on the offense but once that goal happened you need to turn it up a notch and they didn't it really I mean they were clearly trying more but it didn't create any more danger Um, so just all around a disappointing finish and then looking ahead obviously we said the Wildcats, they drew the 16th seed in the tournament, the final team to get a bye out of the 48-team field. They'll be facing either Loyola, Maryland, or 
North Carolina, who face off Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. from Chapel Hill. And obviously in the, the spring is kind of a tough year to gauge because they got the red card in that game and they lost, I believe it was 2 to nothing to Kentucky. Um, but in years past, the Wildcats, I think they've made it to the to the quarterfinals in 2017. I think it's the furthest they've gone. Yeah, and that sounds right. Yeah. So uh, I, I know the UNC Loyola game hasn't happened yet, but any, anything about the tournament in your eyes? Um, I think UNH are still going to be – you know, a f- they're going to be a- – did I say UNC or UNH? UNH. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> UNH will be a favorite, you know, coming into Wildcat Stadium. I talked to Jacob Jacob Gould um, after the selection show, and I asked him, you know, these two teams, especially Chapel Hill, they're coming from the south. You know, does, does he feel like they have that kind of northern team advantage? Um, and he kind of laughed and was like, yeah, I mean, they're used to playing on grass and in a soccer stadium. We play on turf in a football field. <laughs> like, you know, it's – not the best conditions to play soccer, but when you're used to it, that's an advantage versus a team, you know, looking at all these lines, yeah. you know, getting this northern wind blowing the, through the The ball's going to play a lot faster on turf than it does grass. Absolutely. Um, and so I think, you know, they're they're going to be a big favorite no matter who they face, and they, they should win. Um, personally, I'd love to see, you know, North Carolina come up here. Um <laughs> That's just kind that of would be sweet. <laughs> yeah, that would just be a nice matchup. You get a big school, UNC Chapel Hill, coming up to Durham, um, and I think the Wildcats can beat them. Um, and so you'd love to see that. Beyond that game, Oregon State, the one seed in the tournament, um, who kind of had a meteoric rise through the rankings. I, um, I, we were talking about this right after the game. I'm pretty sure they weren't weren't in like the top ten or anything, and then they came out of nowhere. And whoever it was, Marshall or Georgetown, I think, was one at the time. They came out of nowhere and beat them, yeah, and immediately shot up to a top three team. And they mentioned in the selection show um, how it was just those quality wins that got them to that one seed. Um, so a little con- if you know the two higher seeds advance to that third round, and you get the one versus sixteen, it's UNH who hovered for most of the season around you know you want to say I think their highest was four. Yeah, um, right between. Seven and four. Yeah, seven and four is their their main hover zone. Um, And then you get Oregon State, who just sort of, you know, come out of nowhere and shoot to the top. Um, So, you know, if you're talking about these two teams mid-season playing in the tournament, the conversation isn't going to be like, oh, yeah, it's a one versus a 16. It's going to be this is going to be a battle. It's two top ten teams. It's not one versus 16. New Hampshire loses one game to Vermont, and because the committee, I guess, just you know, <laughs> real low on Vermont. has it out for the Green Mountain State, um, <laughs> you know, you're suddenly a 16 seed. Um, so I really think it is winnable, as Hubbard said. They they are a top team. Uh, Tolisha Wonmi has told me earlier this year, on their day, they feel they can beat any team in the country. Against Vermont, it was not their day, but you know, maybe it will be in this tournament. And yeah, New, New Hampshire, they've had a handful of games like that where it's just not their day so you know specifically the the Yale game where they tied in overtime um and then early on in the year there's a lot of two nothing one nothing two one one nothing one nothing a lot of they had trouble finding the back of the net early on until about midway through they kind of you know unleashed on Quinnipiac one five nothing then went four to one three to one three to nothing four to one so if they can you know find that form that they were right in the middle of the year those three four games right there then that it's hard to disagree with them. Yeah, I mean, if if they're putting the ball in the net like they can, then that's a dangerous team that no one wants to face. And, you know, even when their offense wasn't clicking this year, you never had that much bad to say about the defense. Yeah. 
I mean, Bridger Hansen just anchors that back line, and they don't concede. Yeah, Hansen, who was a first-team All-American last year, was the defender of the year in the conference. And then this year, playing next to him, you have Adam Seville, who was the defender in the conference, the uh, defender of the year in the conference. Then in the midfield last year, Rory was defender of the year. This year, it's Yannick. So, you know, you've got – and then the forwards, I forget. I don't, Show me striker of the year in the conference. Yeah, I, don't, um, I don't think anybody won it for us last year. Not that I remember. Anyways, you have you have the defender, the midfielder, and the striker of the year in the conference. Um, you had to think Kalila had to be second or third and goalkeeper of the year. I would hope second. Yeah. <laughs> I really would because I think he got robbed of goalkeeper of the year. Yeah, we're looking through the stats before the game. It's like – like he leads in pretty much every category. Yeah, it, it's a weird, it's a weird one. Where Goals against average, New Hampshire is point three nine. Vermont was one. So, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, maybe they just felt the New Hampshire defense, you know, saved them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, maybe. The, and that was something I did say early on in the year was that he hadn't, he didn't have to face a whole lot of bad, uh, tough shots. Yeah, he did have. I'll, I'll give him credit. You know, to go back to the championship game, he had a decent save. Um, Early on, Vermont had, I think it was another volley or half volley. The first, like, five, ten minutes of the game, there were three really good shots from both yeah. sides. Yeah, um, and they, they hit it right at him, but it had some serious, you know, pace on it, and, and he handled it well. Um, right after that, I think, was when Yannick Bright had New Hampshire's best scoring chance of the day, um, where he just he took one from 20 yards out, kept it low, fired it into the left-hand corner. Um Vermont's keeper got a great hand on it to make a you know phenomenal save. Um, that could have been the difference in that game. Um, so, yeah, just an all-around. It's a game of what-ifs and kind of why-nots, I think, is how I'd put it. Any final thoughts? Uh, you'll see you, see you in the tournament. Let's let's get to Wildcat Stadium. Let's get rowdy. Um, you know, let's get that home win because if they win, then they're going to Oregon State, and that's a bit of a trip. Yeah. All right, so – UNC Loyola, Thursday afternoon, 6 o'clock. The winner will head north to Durham Sunday at 2 p.m. from Wildcat Stadium. And for Cameron Beal and Bracket Lions, this has been the Wildcats Press Pass.